0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm here, as always, your host, Austin Peterson, coming coming to you live from our studio in Tempe, Arizona, and joined by my co-host today, Landon Mance, coming to us from Las Vegas, Sin City. Welcome to the show, Landon.
2: Thank you very much. Excited to be here with you, of course, but the real excitement is from our our, our guests that we're going to be introducing.
1: Yeah. Ni- nice catch on that one. I appreciate it. So, listen, before we jump in and uh, introduce our guest and, and talk about what uh, what it is that he's doing here and, and why he's uh, here on our show today, if this is the first time that you're listening to our show, Tycoons of Small Biz, we're a radio program and a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. Landon and I are small business owners. We also have a partner of the program, Fintrepid Solutions, Ryan Weissmuller. He's a small business owner. And we are actually multi-generational families of small business owners. We believe that the small business owner in our country is truly the backbone of the American economy. And for that reason, we put together this podcast and feel it's, a, it's an important way to highlight what small business owners are doing and, and how they're impacting our economy and impacting our communities and families, et cetera. So with that, we definitely have a tycoon on the, on the program today. We've got Tom Donnellan with Deck of Dice Gaming Incorporated. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks,
3: Austin. Yeah. Thanks,
1: Landon. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. So uh, before we jump into the business side of things and, and you know, really what it is that Deck of Dice Gaming does, let's back up a little bit, have you tell us a little bit about you personally. So, you know, where did you grow up? Did you go to school? What did you study? Do you have a family? Do you have children? Um, you know, whatever you'd like us to know about you personally.
3: Awesome. And just to be clear, we've got an hour, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> just we what want to make sure I don't talk too much. <laughs> yeah, so uh thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Um I am born and raised and currently reside near Cleveland, Ohio. Our business stretches around the world and we'll get into that a bit later. I've got teammates here in the Pacific time zone. So glad to stop by the lovely studios here and and see you guys in person especially, you know, kind of here in the midst of COVID. But back home, Started with a career in consumer products, ended up here in the gaming industry and uh, kicked things off, uh, like you, had had kids at a very young age. I think I, I was listening to a podcast recently where we were talking a little bit about that, but uh, married my high school sweetheart, Jenny, uh, when I was 22, uh, had our first son, Connor, at uh, 23, and then just, uh, you know, decided that we're all in, had known we wanted three kids and... Ended up with, I think, what they call Irish triplets. <laughs> well, actually, technically, I think that's every nine months, right? So we had three kids under three and a half. So, Oof. uh, Emily and Brandon came along, and, and, uh, Connor's, you know, he's a young man with autism who lives with us at home today and is working in the community, um, at the local supermarket and, uh, taking care of business at home. He does all the maintenance and, uh, snow cleaning and lawn mowing while I'm traveling. Um, and, uh, Emmy and Brandon are off in their careers, respectively, Uh, special ed, uh, behavioral health is Emmy's passion, and Brandon's a data engineer. And I can proudly say that all of them, Ginny, Connor, Emmy, and Brandon, have all been a big part of our success, helping in one way or the other with, uh, you know, making games.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely! I think we talked a little bit about the importance of a support system, specifically the family support system. Um, I want to say it was two weeks ago, but it might have been last week where we talked specifically about that. And and you're right; you're reminding me of of kind of our you know mm-hmm. connections there because I was I was I got married the day before I turned twenty two, and then you know my son was born about eighteen months later. So you know not as quickly as you, but you know relatively quickly. We did then take a break in between the first one and the second one. It's crazy to see you know how they flourish, the difficulties that they have, you know, my daughter has some some difficulties uh not on the autism spectrum but you know some of those t- same types of difficulties but they figure out a way to to work through it and and having the support system with parents who are all in and helping them to to work through that um it is a big part of that. So
3: yeah, it's and it's, there's a lot to learn as parents too, you know, helping any child, you know, through, through school, homework, sports, friendships, when there's someone with a difference involved, it it's, you get even closer to how things work, how the educational system works, how, you know, connecting dots on the medical care front that you may have ignored or, or not needed to, you know, advocate and understand these things. And so, um, you know, we've learned a lot, my wife and I, and and Connor teaches, I think, you know, in this context of being an entrepreneur, uh, I get asked often why jump in and put a lot, a lot at risk. And I look at Connor each day and I'm reminded that life is fragile. You know, he's delightful and has so much potential and shares so much with the world, but he has limits and I'm fortunate not to have those limits. So I think it's that sort of sense of, understanding the privileges that I have and sort of the responsibility to wake up every day to do my best and taking some financial risk, well, maybe a lot more risk than I had hoped, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just life, you know, is, is the, you know, the ultimate risk. And so the risk of not doing something or living to my potential is something that drives me each day because of all my kids and and certainly, especially because of Connor. Yeah.
1: Well, speaking from experience, I would say that it's probably a lot more financial risk than Jenny wishes you would have taken <laughs> because I know that my wife has had that experience.
3: Yeah, I think on page 3 of my notes here I <laughs> talk about the first promise of many I started to break, what's, you know, it's <laughs> like hey, we're going to do this and here's the plan. Yeah. And then, you know, the plan the plan uh changes substantially. But and actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I was first deciding to take the step, my attorney at the time, uh, we were having dinner and he said, you know, I have one question. And the question is, is, is Ginny on board? Is your wife, you know, uh, you know, is she ready to be with you on this? And, and, you know, the answer was a fast yes. We had talked a lot about it and, you know, it was time, it was time to and of course that was moons ago and it was it was a different context. It was a different risk I was setting out to take. So things have changed a bit since then, but but I won't, won't forget that question. I've asked it of a few other entrepreneurs. You know, the, there's that pay it forward sort of if someone reaches out to me to have a meeting and I'm always surprised because I don't feel that I have a lot to share, but there are things to share. There's some arrows, you know, uh, in the back and leg and front and everywhere. And so just talking a little bit about risk and, and uh you know, uh, your business might be very different than mine, but there's certain shared experiences. And, and so, but coming back to that question, you know, are the people that depend on you or the people that are side by side with you? Are they, are they on board? You know, because sometimes you can't do this for the reward. You know, we all aspire to something and exit unlocking value. That's, that's what you guys do and help, help people and families to, to do, it doesn't always work out that way. So if that's your only goal, uh, you know, another wise person told me it's, it's, it, it, how do you then deal with the setbacks, you know, and, and the long nights where you feel that you might not make it. Yeah. Um, if, if your goal is, you know, a particular number, it, it, you know, my, my goal is to create value and create wealth, but, but so, but it's not the one thing that drives me. And so it's, it's, um, you know those conversations about family, you know are the people you love on board because uh, it does get hard and lonely
1: no no doubt about it. So one last comment that uh, that I'll make about the personal side that's just kind of a tie in that I didn't realize we had is you know you mentioned Emmy working with special needs children or adults um my my daughter is studying to be an occupational therapist and and wants to and is currently working at a at a facility that works with special needs adults to you know, tr- do job training and different things like that to to give them the ability to be as self-sufficient as possible as, as whatever their disability allows. So that's kind of a that's cool awesome. tie-in that we've got yeah, as that's well. Great. Yeah, that's great. Dynamite. Yeah. So Landon, in, introduce Tom and how you know Tom. You guys have known each other for a while before the show as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, I'll, I'll just make a a quick comment. Um, <clears throat> Tom, you, you made a comment a minute or two ago about people uh, that approach you and ask for a conversation. And you 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 humbly follow that up with, you know, I don't necessarily feel like I have a lot to offer. And aside from your uh, really cool professional background and in the story that we're going to have you unpack when it came to starting your business, you know, Tom, you've, you've got a really special kind of presence to you that's uh, really kind and, and welcoming. And, you know, you've got great great spirits and a great, you know, uh, outlook and, and personality. So I uh, just want to make sure that we we highlight that real quick before we move on, because uh, I don't know Tom super duper well, but, but I know him well enough to know that uh, he's a great guy and he's got a great story and uh, somebody that really, you know, that, that really has a, a deep passion for what he's doing. So we're, we're really excited to have you. And thanks again for joining Tom.
3: Well, thank you, Landon. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, so Tom and I go back maybe uh, maybe eighteen or twenty four months, and we actually were introduced. Uh, we went through a a program together, but on uh, uh, on different different aisles. So it was a a program that's put on by a guy named uh, Jeff out in Las Vegas, and the program's called Angel and Beat and there's two aspects to the program there is the the founder side of the program and then there is the investor side of the program that world the, the world of angel investing was you know was was new to me but my experience going through that program was really really positive i really enjoyed it a lot i was a little bit uh more limited as to my participation just due to the the industry that i'm that i'm in but i was able to get you know educated around kind of the angel investing approach and how to look at companies and what questions to ask and what things to consider and and then you know learning how to package that all together to make an informed you know investment decision into startups or or relatively new companies and then Tom was on the other side of that fence, participating as a um, you know as a as a founder. So that's how we kind of came uh, in in connection with one another. But uh, yeah, I mean Tom, if you want to comment on on the program real quick, I know that I've been getting a lot of emails from Jeff and just kind of more uh, specific to our our Nevada listeners. But I think they're about to roll out that program once again. But uh, you know, obviously, with with new investors and new founders.
3: Yeah, Landon, a little bit of story backstory. There is that our our company. I'm, I'm still we're based in Cleveland, Ohio. That's that's where uh, one you know foot of our our structure resides, and then we have teammates in the Bay Area, the Tahoe area now, thanks to COVID. A few folks fled up the hill and. And uh, actually had a, a, an office presence presence in Las Vegas, so, so I had been co-located pre-COVID. So I think it was March 14th where I decided to uh, unilocate back to Ohio <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> whatever the, jumped in my car and drove drove home with a box of sanit, you know sanitizing wipes. But uh, the so startup NV the so being a, a company that had a presence, a startup company that had a presence in Nevada we were active with networking, have been, and, and still are. And, and the opportunity to, um, sort of join this pitch competition. Competitions are tough, right? They're, uh, the, uh, the very wide variety of, of deal types. Um, uh, but we, we've got a great story and, and thought we'd jump in and tell it. And then unfortunately, very early in the pitching, I think I, I'd made it to the finals or semifinals or something. And then, my mother passed away after a long illness, and so I'm afraid I I put business in the backseat and didn't do too well in the uh, you know in the follow through of uh, of all the you know due diligence and uh, follow up pitching to the to the group. But I believe they selected a Las Vegas company that I would have selected if I hadn't selected my own company. So I, th- I think the process worked out fairly well, and the Angels went through a nice nice diligence process, and it. And, and it's, um, it was interesting as a founder, um, to, to see the commitment to training, really uh, training may be the wrong word, but, uh, developing and, and sort of bringing, ex- uh, investing experience to a, a very wide range of angel investors who had never invested before. And, and so it was, you know, I enjoyed participating and had to sort of back out toward the end, but that's a little bit of my perspective on that one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I'll tell you something that one of my big takeaways from that was the ongoing and newly found at the time respect that I have for founders as they go through the due diligence process with with investors. I mean, uh the, the amount of time and effort and resources that that you and you know the other founders had to to go through uh <laughs> with us it's a lot yeah it it is yeah
3: and is. and and that you know it wasn't a lot just because of the requirements of that program, it's a lot you know, period to to tell the story to to talk with potential investors, whether they're individual angel investors or institutional investors, you know there's the the story, and then there's the all the details, the you know the data room of you know, everything from cap tables to financial projections to, you know, market research. And, you know, I can only imagine as, as investors, the, the variety of, you know, preparedness or, or depth of the materials available. I will say this, I, uh, while I, I missed the opportunity to really put wood on the ball with that pitch, the, a lot of the work that I had put together as a runway towards those finals really paid off because I ended up closing my bridge round within, uh, three or four weeks with a lot of the material that we had thrown together with, with, uh, some, you know, some angel investors that, uh, I think there was, no, there was not one that I had met through the process, but, but it was just all tangential because we're, you know, I'm always out there pitching. So, so anyway, the, the the process, right. The, 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 the rigor of being prepared to tell your story and have the foundational details to back it up. It was a lot of work. I
2: yeah. wouldn't say it well, was. Yeah. Like you mentioned, you know, you, you ran into some challenges, but, uh, but you, you found the silver lining. So that's, that's great. So, yeah. So Tom, talk, talk to us about your professional background and then, uh, you know, lead, lead into the the conversation, you know, with, with your wife, which was around, Hey, you know i'm going to i'm going to do this new thing and this is what it looks and feels like and then uh yeah tell us about how you how you started your company
3: so i've got a degree in accounting uh actually i went to a great accounting program in the state of ohio john carroll university i believe they're always it's a private university but always one or two right up there with ohio state and then a couple others and proud to graduate near the top of my class. In fact, I had a job offer from Ernst & Young. I'd interned there and and um, I didn't take the job and, and they were a bit surprised, but I was, uh, you know, I just wasn't sure about the career and and, and I was at an early, uh, very early midlife crisis of, wow, I've spent a lot of money on, on this education. Uh, and, you know, funding my own tuition bill, living at home, buying a car and driving back and forth and feeling uh, like my ladder was leaning against the wrong tree. Uh, and, and that's the benefit of interning, right? I, I, I learned, and uh, I, I would have come back around, I think, and taken, uh, taken the job. I, I bought myself a little bit of time and took a job with a, a very small company that was, frankly, it was near my home. I was living with my parents and it was convenient sort of commuting stop back and forth to school. And 10 years later, uh, you know, I started at that company as a, as a co-op intern student. They offered me a full-time job while I was still in college. And 10 years later, I left the company as executive VP of global supply chain at the grand old age of 28 or 29 or something. And And I'd love to say I was really great at my job, but I was... And I, you know, I worked hard and I, I, th- I think I was, you know, I was, I was good at what I did, but it, it also right place, right time. You know, the company when I started was 40, 45 million in annual sales. And when I left, it was 225 million or so. And it had been sold, the entrepreneur exited uh, to a global conglomerate. And so I was front row seat to what it takes to build value. And deliver an exit in the middle market, so nine figure sale of a company, and frankly, it paid off a lot of those uh, credit cards where the diapers, and the formula, were being charged. <laughs> so I think that was something you talked about, Austin. Yeah. You know, so just a great ride, and I learned learned a lot. Actually, uh, the owner of the company and and, and his family are uh, became great friends. Uh, the owner passed away a few years ago, but together we wrote a book, a, a summary, just a, a digest of leadership and, and what it took to to build that company and had a lot of fun, but I also had a lot of doubts. Um, so here I was pushing, you know, 30 and not sure if I succeeded, you know, because of my own talent or if it was entirely right place, right time. And so struck out to uh, to find new opportunities and found my way into a food manufacturing business that at the time was about 60 million in sales. And here I took the role of, had responsibility for supply chain, but also sales and marketing, uh, which was new for me. And then that company went from 60 to 200 million in five years. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and, you know, again, just hung on and in both companies, you know, both entrepreneurs, very different styles. Um, very uh, single-minded and committed to creating value. Um, both very product and industry faced. Learned a lot about what it takes to to stay focused and succeed and, and create value. But and and proud to be not just a front row seat, but a sort of inner circle executive in in both experiences and and really learn how hard it is to make decisions. You know how how painful it can be when the budget doesn't add up. Um, I mean, these are stories of growth and success and, and two middle market exits that are greater than nine figures each, but also there were, you know, reductions in force and there were budget misses and there were, you know, there was some shouting and wailing and gnashing of teeth now and then. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard work. And so, you know, I rolled out of that one and then, and, and had, you know, as an executive, that, that, that company was sold. And so I had sort of a, you know, an incentive basis of, you know, I wasn't a founder, didn't contribute cash, but, you know, was able to take a breath and think hard about what I wanted to do next and decided to put a small pledge fund together where I lined up some friends and in industry relationships to, who pledged to support uh, me if I was able to source uh, uh, an acquisition, a, a small company to buy. And we found one very quickly. I had a pretty short leash. I wasn't going to sit on the sidelines too long. And I was actually job hunting or beginning to job hunt at the same time. And And so we bought, me and I, I think six or probably about six other folks, we we threw some money into a hat and bought a small company. It was bankrupt. Uh, we We bought the note. Away from its bank, and you know, had all the math, all the you know, the working capital is worth this and that, and projections and whatnot. And then the one thing we did not uh, project was that three weeks later, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) the first lesson of uh, business ownership was you can't unbuy something. It was rough. Uh, The first of many promises I broke to my wife was to start spending our IRA to make payroll. I mean this this was a consumer products wholesaler we had our customers were Walmart uh, Target Walgreens but they all turned off their purchase order systems um, not sure how many folks remember or want to remember that you know those months were were pretty pretty awful so uh but you know I think maybe a little bit of uh yeah there's probably an opportunity to tell my friends and investor investors, no mass after six, nine, 12 months, but whether it was the, the Irish Catholic guilt of, uh, you know, trudging through this and, and getting to the other side. I mean, my dad is a cement mason, was a cement mason, my mother and RN, I mean, everybody worked hard in our family. And so giving up on something wasn't, uh, wasn't top of mind, you know, getting to the other side and having belief in our team and in our products that that's, that was what was front of mind. And we made it through that period. The company sold uh, playing cards and little plastic chips and um, was sort of adjacent to the, the gaming category at retail. Along the way, we met uh, I met uh, the inventor of the, the dice that are now the foundation of our company. We chose to make some investments, significant investments, to commercialize the, the product as a board game for family fun, retail retail sales and sold a, the lights out a quarter of a million games in just a handful of years, which was just, a, not often heard of in, in the world of, of, board game sales. And, but it was, su- it was super cash hungry and we had one item, it's, you know, one item at Walmart, it's really tough to balance costs and profits and, you know, you need really a portfolio that approach transfers well beyond just investment management, right? I mean, every company has a, its portfolio of products and product lines, and, you're, and we didn't have that. We had one thing. But along the way, we started hearing and having sort of expressions of interest from folks in the gaming, the greater gaming industry. The, the, I, I should say the video gaming industry and the casino gaming industry. If our company was a different size and scale, or we had more access to cash at the time, maybe we would have tried to do two things at once. But there is a saying that, you know, a man with one ass can only ride one horse. And so we we decided slowly pivot away from board gaming and into video gaming. And more specifically, the idea was to pivot into uh, prototyping and licensing and Developing um, uh, content ideas, uh, you know, games, discrete games featuring our our IP. Uh, that's evolved a lot since that pivot. It's uh, now we're a full fledged developer and about to become a publisher, which is very different than making prototypes and licensing those to other people. You know, if, if if the challenge at Walmart is selling one item in the in the game aisle, cash flow is tough when everybody only buys that item between. Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, then the challenge in the casino industry is there's a lot of patents and IP. And so folks aren't so ready to just license what you're doing and to commercialize you. You know, so so we've had to sort of find ways to double back and continue to invest in ourselves and, and bring us to the point where we are today. Yeah.
1: So <clears throat> excuse me, let's let's take an opportunity to just kind of describe quickly, you know. High level, what it is that you guys do? I mean, deck of dice. I mean, there's different games and so forth. So, give us an idea of you know where we would find the games, what what the game is, and and what you guys are doing day to day now, and what you'll be doing day to day going forward.
3: Today on the market in the app stores, so Apple, Google, uh, you can search on a on a game called Shake It Up, Shake It Up Dice. It's uh, it's it's a mobile game. It's a video game that brings to life our the patent and the intellectual property that's at the root of our company and our opportunity. And this is one game, one game of many different games that we can create. Um, listeners can also find it on at shakeitupdice.com. So the so that's the product and and it's available for everyone to download and enjoy. Uh, at the heart of it is A remarkably overdue invention. And and when I brag about the invention, I please understand that I did not invent (laughs) the dice. So I'm bragging for someone else, but at the heart is, is a remarkable invention. That's a set of nine dice, uh, which have 54 collective surfaces, right? So six sides per die times nine. And that's a perfect match for all 52 cards in a deck of playing cards and a pair of wilds. And, and so uh, with our dice, every card from a deck is neatly arranged on all of these 54 surfaces and they're gorgeous. They look amazing. Everybody who sees the physical and I've got a set in my bag here for you, Austin, but the, 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 everybody who sees they're, they're just gorgeous, but, but beyond looking neat, they deliver the expectations of uh the 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 playing cards have set so the way i've evolved to tell the story is that playing cards they're so ubiquitous right they they, they're everywhere every 99 cents at every checkout counter and costing people a lot more than that at blackjack tables for a long time and (laughs) and and it's these things these things are a thousand years old. I think the earliest evidence of uh, playing cards being in existence is like 900 AD. And it was really the advent of the printing press where uh, the, you know, the mass accessibility took root. And for a thousand years, the point of playing card games, whether you're gambling in a game like poker or playing uh, a more casual game like rummy, having fun with friends over a trick-taking game like Euchre or Bridge. The the point of all these games is to create matches, matches of ranks. So three of a kind, four of a kind, two pair, or to create sets of dice. Uh, some people call them straight flush hands or royal flush hands, or in 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 the sport of rummy, it's a run, two, three, four of spades. And so the inventor of our dice knew that if if you have a deck of dice and you throw them and you can't do these things that have been done for a thousand years, you know what's the point? It, 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 if you can't achieve the goals of of the popular card games, then you only have a, a novelty. and And so in a fit of inspiration, in one night, uh, the inventor actually chopped up a piece of wood and carved them out in a way that uh, that arranges the card faces so that if you throw them, it's possible to achieve every possible four-of-a-kind, every possible straight flush, every royal flush, every rank. It's possible to achieve a full house hand. You have really delivered a, an opportunity to deliver the most familiar game outcomes in the history of gaming with a new user experience, a new sort of action and drama of throwing dice instead of being dealt uh, from a deck of cards. And so our opportunity, if you, if, if you step back and you know, I'm not a game player. So I look at this strategically and from a, a business uh, standpoint that there are a lot of games in not just the casino industry, but the casual games industry, solitaire, rummy, even uno is based on crazy eights. And so the legacy of card play powers, markets that are together 750 billion. And we'll come back to the, the markets where we're playing right now, but the ubiquity of card play, the importance of these achievements sitting at, as a base are a deck of cards, which is not a game. It's a system or a platform for gaming. It's a, it's a way it's, the dice by themselves are, are not fun. Neither is a deck of cards. It's the rules of gameplay you know, the social component of how those rules draw people together. That's, that's what makes a deck of cards fun. And that's what our charter is to make our dice fun, to, to leverage this patent in a way that, that delivers the kind of gameplay that, that delights our players. And so listeners can download one game that we've released, which is best described as Yahtzee or Bunko or Farkle meets video poker. You know, it's just blending familiar mechanics, but that's one of many different things we can do. We can create games that are more like bingo, uh, games that are a blend of Kino and video poker or games that are very rummy, like, or matching, like go fish. So there's this long, uh, there's this whole sort of, uh, our vision is to create and build this family of evergreen games in, char- in, in over time. And the hard part for us has been deciding where to start, And, you know, so the burden of choice and, and a lot, you know, our business model depends on our first game better be good. <laughs> Can't talk about the 10th until, you know, until um, number one is, to, is out there kicking ass.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So I, I, I will tell you that your description of shake it up dice, right. In my mind, I was envisioning playing Yahtzee. And I played Yahtzee as a kid a ton with my grandparents. We'd go camping and we'd play Yahtzee in the RV or, you know, out on the patio or whatever. And so the description made sense to me before you even made that, you know, that comparison. So I think that for me, that says that you're on the right track. So I want to unpack a little bit more about what that means. You know, there's there's options, obviously, digital and throwing actual live dice. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. We'll share a quick call to action, and then Landon will bring us back from break and we'll, we'll jump into kind of what the future holds and, and where it goes, digital or, or physical. Awesome. Hey there Tycoons, Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a Tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All
2: right, welcome back, Tycoons. We're here with Tom Donlin, Decadice Gaming, having a great conversation tom tell us about shake it up dice so you just alluded to the fact that you've got to have game number 1 solid before you talk about game number 10 so is is shake it up dice is that number 1 is that kind of your foundational game i guess if that's the right word
3: it is landon and it it, it has roots in fact, uh, heavy roots with the board game that we worked to commercialize with the inventor. And and I actually want to talk about her for a moment and then run down this trail of, of the game design. But a woman named Carmelin Calvert invented these dice and she was, unfortunately, she she passed away a few years ago, but probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever encountered and um yet someone who lived in the country and had a, a a high school degree and really just sort of presented as um you know she wrote an email to me submitting her game and I I I deleted it and my my uh you know um it just for partly just was lost on me I think but you know the pitch the art of you know telling your story maybe carmelin didn't pull my strings the right way but at the time, our marketing director read the email and came into my office and said, "You know, dude, did you read this thing?" And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, at the time, her patent was pending, so we actually helped shepherd things along. But at the she she had an idea everyone should have, and it it always fascinates me how we talked about cards being a thousand years old. Well, dice are six thousand years old, I think. So so these these two systems, right? They're both gaming systems have been seen around town together for a long time. So you know, putting them together is a chocolate meets peanut butter moment. And, and Carmelin had it. And she she had this visual intelligence where she could sort of pick these things down out of her brain and and put them on on and and so the she she came to me with at least six different game designs. She had one in particular that she had been testing on her own with her own budget. And so we she we we worked to build around that and and the Yahtzee thing, it was rolling dice three times to kind of put together uh, your hand or a strategy seems natural. It, it kind of takes, takes the pay table out of the question. I mean, it's a, it becomes a more, you know, more social dynamic. It puts a little more control in the player. And in, in a table game setting, it's perfectly natural. And so we ran down that trail. Well, on the digital side, when we pivoted to get into video gaming, it wasn't so clear that that was the place to start to me. And the team that we started to build is amazing. I mean, we, we've got just an amazing set of folks, some of the most legendary and experienced uh, game design and game development folks in the industry. And, and so chewing on this, right, we, we could, we can do a slot machine with these, so you can throw them down and you you can, you can have uh, the universe of results and, 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 and craft a pay table against that. And digitally, We actually prototype that and it looks pretty cool, but is it better than, you know, this, this sort of Yahtzee mechanic? That's, that's a question. And so we, we, we spent a lot of time on design and focus grouping and research, but darn it, if every time we didn't have a conversation with someone in the industry on the video game side or the casino side, they would naturally grab the physical dice and throw them on the table and hold some and re-roll the rest. So it just, it's just clear that somewhere in our human DNA is this desire to roll dice three times. (laughs) So, so we stopped fighting. We've, we've prototyped a dozen different types of games. And I expect that five, 10 years ago, you guys will have seen all of them on the market, but, but starting with this one, it's classic and it's, it's, it's got elements of it's, and it's not just Yahtzee. It's, it's games like Bunko and Farkle that, and, and Kismet. There's this long tail of, you know, roll these dice three times. And then there's poker, video poker. Pok- poker is probably the most g- played game on the planet through time. Uh, video poker certainly probably the most successful casino game of all time. And so blending elements of that, you know, that's, that's what we're doing with Shake It Up. And our early metrics are dynamite. I mean, we're, we're getting some phenomenal depth of playtime and engagement from our players and delighted with that sort of uh proof of concept and and um proof of appeal but never gaming is you you don't throw a mobile game out there and and watch what happens it's not like a, a retail uh physical product it's it's a it's a live service it's a SaaS business uh where you operate the product you run the servers you make changes to the game you issue updates players always want new and fresh content uh it's games as a service or gas is the uh, acronym g-a-a-s but it's uh it's so we're what we're learning is you know there are some players who love poker and aren't afraid of that dynamic but how do we you know we're sort of steering the game more towards uh, yahtzee meets rummy or you know sort of a blend of rummy and poker because there's a lot of casual players out there who will play solitaire you know play the lights out and so we want to through time make sure this game appeals you know to the deepest part of the market Uh, everybody who enjoys card or dice games not just poker players and so starting with this very natural tendency for people to roll three three times Uh, to do a thing, you know, our journey is about simplifying that thing, presenting the goals to the player in a very um, accessible and intuitive and and very simple manner, Um, taking the edge off, you know, giving something for everyone, giving something that feels a little bit like poker to poker players, but can be accessible to players who prefer other types of card games. So that's where, where we are with the product is really tuning and investing in this experience. You know, I think that, um, maybe to put an exclamation point on that on the market right now is very much what we call a a minimum viable product. It's, 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 it's not, it's, 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 it's very playable, very enjoyable and is designed to prove the, the very core of the experience. And we've nailed it. Uh, we're, we're getting, 20 to 25 minutes per day per player i'd love to uh, draw the analogy to seinfeld who is a billionaire by getting 20 to 25 minutes a week from people willing to sit and watch his sitcom so our business is entertainment you know so gluing your eyes and your attention to uh to a small screen to our form of entertainment that's the trick and so how do we create that near miss how do we give you the user experience of throwing dice digitally how do we uh, wh- you know how do we blend this poker versus rummy you know making the game accessible to people it's that's that's what we're doing now is 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 building around this incredible amount of time that we're seeing from players to make sure we build and widen the net of our audience and build the types of systems that games like this depend upon to keep people for 30, 60, 90, 120 days. You know, there's a long tail here. And so it's building all of those features to keep people engaged. A lot of them have nothing to do with Yahtzee or poker or rummy. They have to do with collecting things, building metagame journeys inside the game. But I'm getting a little technical here. So I'll I'll kind of back (laughs) up and So Landon, that was a long answer to your question about, uh, you know, starting with Yahtzee and I dialed back to talk about the inventor and and come roaring back to this game mechanic.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It, it helps to paint the, paint the picture, which is, uh, which is always helpful. So appreciate that. All right. So talk to us about kind of what, what's going on today. I think you've got a, a licensing deal with a casino operator. I know you've got some some uh, some great, you know, really exciting plans for growth. So, kind of talk to us about you know what what's going on with the company today, and what is the what's the pathway look like you know going into
3: the future? We released Shake It Up just about a year ago, and we came to market. We're, we're a, I think I touched earlier on the fact that we we stepped out on this journey believing we would be more of a licensor, you know, a, a, a creator uh, making concepts and prototypes and, and licensing those. And then we realized that we needed to be a full-fledged developer. And we expanded our team to put together, you know, the full complement of design, production, and engineering resources. And, and we built Shake It Up and got it to the market. And, and actually, the stepping stones to get to market, we had released a, a, a prototype via Facebook in 2018-19 that grabbed half a million players quickly and, and proved it was super bare bones, though. We, we, it was like, wow, okay, well, we've got something here, and, but we've got to keep building around this. And then And then we turned around and we licensed we call it a mini game, but it's, uh, it's, it's a game. It's the same game mechanic, the same three roles to do a thing. It's just a quick play version. And, and, uh, folks can, you can find the game inside other mobile games. I won't name too many names right now to confuse the issue, but if you download a, a social casino game, there's, there's games on the market that are virtual gambling. They're, it's not real money. It's fictitious coins. You can go into these games and, and play slot machines, uh, video poker, blackjack. And in a few of them, you can find Shake It Up, you know, sitting there. And again, it just popped and uh, just consistent user uh, time and engagement. And so these were stepping stones that helped us uh, really round out the design for our own product that we got to market. And, you know, COVID came along, and, and in the gaming industry, it, it, if you were on the market, had eyeballs and an audience that it just, the, the, uh, you know, the stay at home orders really drove a lot, a lot of growth in interactive entertainment. And for us, it was a little bit of a headwind because getting the team together, you know, executing, building, uh, raising capital, you know, lots of things that are just better done in person and with travel were just more difficult for us. But it did put a little wind in our sail in terms of testing and, um, you know, getting in front of users and, and having less expensive uh, market tests. So, you know, 2021 was all about getting the product out there, finding what it did well and, and, and what could be improved. And so throughout this year, we've methodically improved our, I mentioned 20 to 25 minutes. We happen to know that for people who spend money in the game, it's closer to 26 or 28 minutes. So, you know, tuning our dashboards, understanding the players at a granular level, who's not paying, who's paying, who's watching ads. We we have a system where you can opt in to watch advertising to get rewards. Very common in the industry. Some of your listeners may not be aware that that's a thing. That's a way to make, make money. If, if I can't get you to buy this thing, maybe you'll spend 30 seconds watching a video to get, to get one of those things and people do it. And we, and we know who's buying, who's watching ads, who's doing both. And it's help. And, and so as we've continued to build the product, we're doing so with intelligence and we're, we're, we're building with a purpose to maximize really the maximize the behavior of the folks that want to spend money in the game now i should step back and say in mobile games the model our model is uh, it's called free to play it's kind of a misnomer it's really more of a free to install and yeah you can play for free if you really want to grind it out you you can just in in our game can appeal to to players who don't want to spend money but the game sort of drives uh, a certain type of competitive behavior and a certain type of impatience with a small set of players who are willing to pay five bucks a week you know it's not a subscription but the, the the way players consume the game and i won't get into the technicals but it's it's we offer virtual goods that can help you win you know that can help you compete that we sell coins where you can pretend to gamble against your friends. And, you know, these are things people, uh, you know, a, a very small set of people, but a very important set of people spend money on. It's fascinating because those players then carry the rest of the players who who don't spend as much money or any money. But I, I, I liken it to back to Walmart and retail, GameStop, right? You could go and buy a, a cartridge for... A console or a CD and it was a defined price right it's 14.99 for this CD or 60 bucks for this call of duty well what mobile gaming attempts to do it's it's mobile gaming is really a throwback to arcade gaming where if you remember or have seen you know uh, TV shows where people are putting quarters in, and just trying to keep going and get to the next level and and that's that's what a mobile game's doing except you're connected to Apple's wallet or Google Google's uh, payment system. And so you replenish what you need and you keep going. And, and, and so our game ultimately, you know, if it costs us eight bucks to bring in a player, we need to make 10 on average. If it costs us a dollar, we need to make a dollar 50, you know, so, so the industry model is how do I get the, these microtransactions, these sort of, um, you know, purchases from this cohort of players who will, will purchase. And how can I get enough so that the, you know, on an average basis, I'm I'm making more revenue per player than it cost me to bring those players into the game. So very, ultimately, very similar to selling a CD, except that the live ops part, you know, the constantly tuning the game. Uh, So again, Landon, long answer. And maybe I didn't even answer your question, but the, the idea here is that we have spent the year perfecting would be the wrong term, but building and optimizing and learning and, and doing it again, you know, understanding our user behavior and creating a game that can be profitable at scale. And we're, we're at a point where we believe we've done that, where our game is ready for scale. So now what? We are considering going out and raising a marketing fund where we dump gas on the sparks, right? If we're, if we're showing that, yeah, we can bring in a player for a buck 50 and or a buck and make a buck 50 or whatever the numbers are, right? There's a, a profit spread. Let's bring in the bucket of gas. Well, again, we're, we made the transition from licensing and prototyping to development. So, you know, can we just wave a wand and become expert at marketing and publishing? The answer is maybe with time and money and the right partnerships, so we're considering that. But in the meantime, our story has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And so one of the top casino operators in the industry has, uh, one of several actually, uh, You know, through our shoe leather, we've been pitching and sort of keeping industry connections aware of our progress. And, and one of the top casino operators in the world decided to uh, do a licensing deal essentially where... Uh, we're going to build a version of our of Shake It Up in in their likeness, and and bring a, a licensed product to market, uh, much like a white label uh, solution. But we'll we'll bring their brand to market while we continue to operate and potentially continue to publish our own brand. So so our business model is evolving, and that's part of why I'm here out west. You know, probably not getting ready to co-locate again, but to continue to you know. Sort of cement our new path forward from here, and you know, build the partnerships that it's going to take to get there. You know, the casino operator, it, they it's um, it's worth I, I, it's confidential deal until uh, the game launch is scheduled uh, before June, and so we'll be talking a lot about it uh, closer to launch timing or just after. But but in the meantime, you know, it's it's worth explaining that. Casino operators are interested in the casual market for social mobile video games. Because if there are people who are out there pretending to gamble, they would like that market share. Because from a loyalty and a marketing standpoint, if players can experience their brands uh, and there can be you know the right tools and, and cross-promotional techniques to to bring those players into the front door or into the real money online gambling uh sites that exist in states like New Jersey then it's it's in the interest of most casino operators to have a kind of an omni channel or a you know this strategy where they're 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 doing things that are not related to gambling but are absolutely related to growing their audience and expressing their brand yep. and so so we begin 2022 with a relationship to bring a a non gambling version of shake it up to market by mid year, but also really excited about all of the cross promotional games we can do Uh, all, you know, putting real dice potentially in, in the, you know, the foyer front lobby of casinos, putting content on slot machines, you know, getting into online real money gambling. So, so we're focused on social, we've got an important deal bringing us to market to help penetrate market and social. And, you know, from there, hopefully the sky's the limit into these other markets.
1: Yeah. I think obviously the, the future is bright. There's a, there's probably at least another hour of content that we could discuss on, you know, where you're going with this and, and what the opportunities are. And so, especially with the launch of the licensing deal around June, you know, I'll just throw out there now, it'd be great to have you back on third or fourth quarter and kind of give us an update on, on where you are. Cause I, I do feel like there's so many other things we could talk about. I mean, you guys are a virtual team from the get go that we didn't have time to talk about today. And so um, we'd, we'd love to have you back in, in six months or so and kind of get an update on where you are.
3: Awesome. I'd but, love to
1: do it. All right. But at this point, we're, we're out of time. Unfortunately um, the, the, the good part of that is we don't have to look at landing on screen any longer so we can move on with the rest of our day and, and look at better things uh, going forward. But uh, we really appreciate the conversation, Tom. We've we've learned a lot. Um, I feel like I this is a, an area that I know a decent amount about, but there are so many things that you taught me today that uh, that I know our listeners will enjoy listening to as well. So thanks for being here. Well, let, let's give you a last uh, opportunity to just kind of sh- throw out the websites, where they can find you, best places to to find you personally, as well as the the game and the company,
3: great, yeah. Shakeitupdice shake it up dice, and uh, also just sh- searching on shake it up dice in uh, Apple's App Store or the Google Play Store. Uh, as far as me, it's uh, Tom Donelan at uh, you know LinkedIn, just D O N E L A N. Pretty easy to find, awesome. and I think that's it. Awesome.
1: I was gonna say maybe you could get Taylor Swift, but isn't her show isn't her her song "Shake It Off," or is is that Taylor Swift? Yeah, just yeah, I think just so. a, just a couple word, couple letters off. What's that?
2: No. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's. I don't know. I don't know anything about pop culture, and so I, 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 it sounds about right. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, Tom really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot as well. And uh, we appreciate you being here and and look forward to uh, following your continued
3: success. So thank you. Thank you both. Really enjoyed being here. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance.